Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, and welcome to, uh, uh, what's the name of this podcast again? Unsheathed, episode number 90. Is that what we are? I am forgetful Fox Kyle Gold. <laughs> and I am happy to be here, Cam Hirosaki. <laughs> Uh, we're we're here in our secret mountain bunker uh, to record the 90th episode of our podcast, which is the first non-convention episode that we've done since, I think, 85 and a half. Yeah. Whatever that update episode was. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been up to uh-huh. and why you should expect to see more regular episodes of Unsheathed going forward and what that will look like. And what other things we have been working on and are looking forward to in the coming year. Yes, people who have been telling us that they need their fix, we will soon be giving you the, the sweet hookup of... We have heard you. ...of eight ounces of black tar on your sheet. <laughs> your, your, your pleas have not gone... have not fallen on deaf ears. So, what's been going on with Unsheathed is, I think, as we've said a couple times in the past, the weekly production schedule was pretty difficult on kit specifically and with a great deal of travel that we were doing in the fall and a number of other things that came up we ended up with a bunch of episodes backlogged and kit said we need to just hold off until we get these episodes processed and then we can start up again but in the meantime we also wanted to explore some solutions so that we could continue to do the episodes regularly moving forward without it being such a burden on any single member of our team. So, uh, what this episode is, we are clearing out our email queue, so we are going to do a lightning round of the 13 remaining top emails. Is it 13 or is it 15 now? I think I added uh, two more. Yeah, I'll have to count. I, I, I wasn't doing a count, but we have... Oh, it is 13. We have selected from our queue and then we will be resetting our email queue to zero moving forward what we will be trying to do is give each podcast a more focused topic and we will announce that topic in advance kind of like notcast does where we'll we'll announce on twitter or on fa and we'll say hey our upcoming show in a week will be up on this topic send us your emails with questions or comments or anything that we can discuss on it yeah because what we had sort of been doing for a while was we would have general topics, but we would put them together after the fact. We would pick and choose emails that all related together. And so the end result, I think, is going to be that while the experience of listening to the show probably won't change that much, our production of it will be more focused, and hopefully that will allow people to you know be able to interact with us better and know what to expect more. And, and we will take suggestions for podcast topics. Yeah, absolutely. And we will rely on you guys a little bit more to be sending in topical emails from time to time that we can really spend a, a good amount of time discussing that are pertinent to the things that uh, we're going to talk about that week. We're also going to try to have guests more often. One of the things that people always talk about is that they get bored just listening to the two of us and they want to hear us interview other people. I'm simplifying. I was going to say, like, nobody's ever said that to my face. Now I'm all sad. No, they just say it to me. Actually, what they say is, one of the things I'd like to see on Future Unsheathed is lots more guests. I mean, you two are fine, but the episodes that are really great are the ones where you have other people on. 
Okay, only like one or two people actually said that. But I enjoy having guests on because it gives us a chance to interact and kind of talk to other people about just different aspects of the creative community that we don't normally get a chance to experience. Yeah. Um, what else is going on? Oh, let's see. Not quite Unsheathed related, although certainly Unsheathed promoted is going to be. Uh, I have a plan that I'm going to do a little Star Wars marathon based on the fact that one of the things that people seem to associate most with me is both my love of the Star Wars franchise and my righteous indignation against the Star Wars prequels. Uh And I got to thinking that it would probably be fun for people to you know get to it's i want to put it together as sort of a set of commentary tracks that people can use and also possibly do it as a live broadcast as well so the people who are there uh can you know do some sort of you know live chat with me while i'm doing this it'll be like live streaming yeah i don't know which service i'm going to use exactly but i'll i'll look around and see which one works the best i think live streaming is in danger of becoming a common verb yeah no it really is and i've been i was trying to figure out another word to use so i wouldn't have to say that and it resulted in me saying something really clunky and then you just came in and said live streaming and people go oh i know what that is now yeah and also i mean now you your your semantics totally knocked me off my perch i'm just thinking i'm gonna be i'm gonna be live streaming with my kleenex and my coke and my (laughs) bears and your jello yes Kids giving me strange looks. Those are all products whose names became synonymous with the products that they were describing. So people say, you know, grab me a Kleenex, even though it's not necessarily a Kleenex brand tissue. The generic verb is tissue. Coke is the same way. Coke like has people who go around the country trying to say, if you order a Coke, make sure they bring you a Coca-Cola brand product as opposed to like in the South. Coke is just like, well, what kind of Coke do you want? You want like 7-Up Coke or you want like Orange Coke or – well, Livestream is a brand. Livestream is the name of a service that people use to do live. But there's also Ustream is another one. Yeah, there's, um, a, there's a couple. There's a couple, yeah. But I was just saying, live streaming has become such a generic noun that that company is in danger of losing their... Uh, Xerox is another one. Oh, yeah. So what I want to do is probably do it in two sessions. One weekend I'll do the prequel movies, and then one other weekend I'll do... Uh, episodes four, five, and six. I'll probably have people come in and sit and discuss things with me for at least some of the movies, so it's not just me talking to myself. Because while that would get entertaining eventually, not so much if I'm just sober. Right. I've said I've said I'll come in and, and watch at least one of the movies, or I'll come in for a couple like hour segments. Because I'm going to say that there's no way I can I will possibly physically be able to sit through episodes one, two, and three in succession without large amounts of alcohol. Yeah. Sign, sign me up for one of the early times. <laughs> I'll, I'll slot you in while I'm still tolerable. Yeah. I think I could say things about the pod race, you know. <laughs> Shut up, God! You don't know what you're talking about. You haven't dedicated your life to this like I have. Why is there so much hate in you? <laughs> Shut anyway. up, Yoda. What else is going on? Oh, the uh, by the time this podcast is released... The Ursa Majors will likely be open for voting. The nominations closed about a week and a half ago, and I believe they're going to announce the nominees next weekend. I think that's right. 
So while we are at FWA, which I would tell you guys to all come out to FWA, except that you won't have heard this episode by the time FWA happens. So FWA I'm was sure awesome. it was awesome. Yeah. If you were there, I really enjoyed being a guest of honor. Those guys treat their they treat all of their guests well. You don't have to be a guest of honor to be treated well by the staff there. They're just really a class class act. So and, and uh, a moment of silence for the three furs who got onto Marta late at night and were never seen or heard from again. I'm just no, pretty- no, I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll turn up somewhere in like the, the Everglades or something. <laughs> oh god, alive. I didn't mean to no, say no. Like, th- now it's like they've been chopped up and fed to alligators or something. <laughs> oh boy, you made me make but, a stupid. Now, now that I, we have our new recording set up, I hear how ridiculous I sound when I laugh. <laughs> That's why I never laugh into the mic. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> um, so. FWA was awesome. If you guys did not make it this year, you should definitely go next year. They are going to have some terrific guests of honor next year, which I don't know now, but I'm sure they're going to be terrific anyway. And it's just uh, it's a great con. If they're still at the Sheraton next year, that's actually a fun hotel. I hear people lamenting that they're not at the Hilton anymore. But the Sheraton actually has like a 24-hour coffee shop stand that oh, has a more bunch of tables by that. it, and that's where like the artists all gather late at night. And there's a lot of there's just a lot of places to hang out. Plus, the hotel restaurant is pretty awesome. But it's not a Trader Vic's. It is not a Trader Vic's, but they do have pecan pie and bread pudding, which, which Trader Vic's does not pretty, have. Pretty amazing. Pecan pie doesn't really go with tiki fare. No, bread pudding no. does though. Bread pudding does, yeah, actually, that's but, a good point. At any rate. We have also been working on things that are not unsheathed related. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of FWA, I had a, I had, I will have had a book come out there called Green Fairy, which I'm quite looking forward to the release of and hope it was great. Man, speaking in the future perfect tense is really awkward. Yeah, it really kind of is. Anyway, it's not out yet, but by the time you hear this, it will be. If you have not uh, bought it yet, it's available on sofawolf.com probably available on fur planet also and at your next local big convention so so forth will be at anthrocon i had a lot of people not a lot of people i had a couple people ask me after i said it was going to be released at fwa will it be for sale at anthrocon no, no, we're not going to bring it to the biggest furry convention in the world. Yeah, I was like, well, you know, Sofa Wolf does make a practice usually of bringing all their books to the biggest furry conventions they attend. So yes, it will be there. And it will be at Rainforest, as hopefully both of us will be, and I believe it'll be at Rocky Mountain Fur Con as well. You know, all the cons we usually hit. So yeah. if you have not gotten a signed copy at FWA, you'll have the chance to get one later on in the year. You can order it online. The Kindle edition will be out sometime between now and a year from now. I think I have a definite date up online, but I may move that up a little bit. I have to talk to my publisher about it. He seems kind of open to the idea of putting out the ebook a little bit earlier than a year ahead. So maybe just around Rainforest or a little after that. Okay. We'll see. I have also been working on the third, and it turns out possibly also the fourth books in the Out of Position series. I'm kind of excited because after 170,000 words, it is finally gaining some tension and momentum. So that makes less editing work for me when I have to go back and try to put it into the first half. But I'm sure you know how that goes. 
sort of. It was. Uh, it's it's interesting. I have to. I'm I'm gonna have to do a lot of work on the first half to turn it into its own book. I think there were a few scenes in the first half that I was when I go through. I think this would be a cool scene to have illustrated. This would be a cool scene to have illustrated. And in the first half, there were a few, but like in the last week or two that I've been working on it, there's been like four or five. Oh, wow. So what I'm going to need to work on probably in late April in the month of May is putting more of that into the first book as well, or into this first, of, which is going to be the third book, but the first of the two that I'm currently working on so that it, the third book stands by itself and people don't just pick it up and be like, well, that was an interesting placeholder to get me from book two to book four. So if anyone could follow the numerical math that Kyle just jumped through right now, yeah. you could figure out which books in this series he's talking about. The third book is the first one I'm writing. The fourth book is the second book that I'm writing. And there will be a fifth book, which will be the first one that I write when I finish these two, well, you just made which the, started out being one. You just made the chapter numbering scheme in Summerhill sound normal. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> oh, yeah. I haven't even started. I'm just numbering chapters in this one like straight through. So we'll see how that turns out. But... Yeah, 170,000 words, and I still have to write probably all the rest of this month and maybe a little bit into April before I'm done with it. So that's it's it's fun, though. I'm, I'm excited about the books and the direction it's going, and I'm looking forward to having this one finished and having people able to pick it up and, and uh, read more about the continuing adventures of Dev and Lee. And for the people who have been listening to this, and I realize actually in talking about uh, when we were you know going over the oh hey we're gonna get unsheathed back on a regular basis and then yesterday or yesterday as of the recording not when you're listening to this uh, I returned in my once again final manuscript of Summerhill to the publisher and congratulations thank you Woo. and yeah I, I I'm unable to be excited about it anymore I've lost completely my ability to even be objective about it you know when you'll be excited is when you see the proof when there's like artwork and a cover and you'll be like i don't have to work on this anymore people are going to get to read it yeah that's just a whole other no, thing i have to write the sequel <laughs> which is probably going to be the next book i write actually uh, which is cool and i'm looking forward to it i actually have a, a trilogy planned and i know what the next book is about and i kind of know what the third book is about i don't know quite how it's all going to end yet but i know where it's going that's kind of amusing because that's my situation with green fairy also like i know what the next book is going to be it, it's turning out to be a trilogy and i know what the next book is going to be stop trying to upstage me i'm not trying to, <laughs> i'm not trying to upstage you I'm, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery <laughs> wow uh, let's not open that can of worms i think people would say uncharitable things about me um all right well, congratulations. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean we're that. Looking forward to, <laughs> we're looking forward to seeing Summerhill and the next books in the trilogy, and I'm sure they will. I'm sure you'll figure them out. And before people ask again, no, I don't know when it's going to be out yet. That's not my decision. At least not, it's not completely my decision. Uh, that has not been set in stone yet by any stretch. I promise I'm not just trying to you put, know, the, put people off. And, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be coy about it. I just honestly don't know yet. No, I think a lot of people don't quite understand the book publishing world and it's not quite as bad as it is for mainstream fantasy and science fiction or mainstream authors where you kind of turn in a book draft and then the publisher and the marketing department decide when to release the book and they pick a date like a year and a half from now because of a bunch of other books that they, they've got like 20 other books that they're releasing and 
they've got all these other factors and they may come up like six months before the date and say, oh, you know what, we've got this other thing going on and so we're not going to release your book on that date that we said we were going to. We're going to push it back another six months. And, you know, I've heard stories of people who've had their books kind of pushed back years. And then also heard of people who were the publisher was like, you know, we have a good window in three months or six months. I don't think they ever do it that quickly, but we're just going to push the book out. And then also... The publisher is responsible for the marketing, so you hear people's stories about the publishers just don't give their book any marketing push, and it just kind of goes out there and vanishes, and so on and so forth. And then on sort of the other extreme, I think people are getting more and more used to the whole, in the furry fandom, self-publishing and, and print-on-demand is kind of more the the rule. You know, your book is out when you finish it and print it and bring it to a convention, and so forth kind of falls between the two. Yeah. Where Sofwolf has a longer production timeline than Fur Planet does. And they do have fewer products, so they want to make sure that they time the release as well. If they've got a book already slated, if they've got like two books slated to come out at Anthrocon, they may say, hey, would you mind holding off on your book until Midwest? Yeah. Or even Rain First. Yeah. Well, I know, I know that if it came out at Rain First, Gene would for you a book launch party that's right gene has promised that for anyone who wants to release a book there so all of you people who have books that you're just waiting on when you want to release them do it at rain first do it at rain first exactly. they, give, they give you wine so so yeah i mean for people wondering about that it's it's not entirely our decision so likes to release the books at conventions where the author will be there to help promote it again it's a matter of timing and a lot of other little factors speaking of conventions I will be a guest of honor at Galaxicon, October 5th to 7th in Minneapolis, and that is a non-furry convention. It is the sort of gay science fiction community. They were kind enough to extend the offer to me, and Sofwolf Press will also be invited guests, as well as Prism Comics. The other guests of honor will be Wendy Peeney of ElfQuest, which is very exciting. Because that was Man, wow. part of my entry into the furry fandom was yeah, ElfQuest. Yeah, a lot of people cut their teeth on ElfQuest. And a couple of other authors, one of whom I know just sort of from being around in the community, Lida Morehouse. Um, she's a gay author who lives, who does, I want to say, she has at least one pseudonym that she does young adult stuff under, but she lives in the Twin Cities also. And then there's a guy who's done some work on Doctor Who scripts, I believe. Oh, do you know which one it is? Uh, it's on the website. I could I don't know, see if I still have it up. Uh, the other guest is Gary Russell. Okay, I was going to say, like, all right, there we go. Okay. That is a familiar name to you? No, it's just, yeah, I mean, there's lots of names that are familiar to me. I, I get around. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> and I'm also well-versed in popular culture. <laughs> yes, oh, thank you. And... We'll change that into an actual sound effect in both. Yeah. No, we won't. <laughs> no, we won't. Um, so I'm working on a story for the Galaxicon chat book, which should be should be cool. It's actually not furry, although I think they said I could write anything I wanted to. But then as I was thinking about it, the story that came to me for them was not furry. So there you go. But I am working on a furry cupcake, which I'm enjoying quite a bit and hopefully will be out sort of in fall of the year. Maybe rain first if I want a book launch party. (laughs) 
Uh, but we'll see. I'm trying to steal my thunder. Okay. Oh. <laughs> There's a big enough pie for everyone. Ooh, pie. No, I'm all hungry. I haven't eaten dinner yet. Yeah, I haven't either. But maybe we should... Do you have anything else to oh, talk about? Oh, actually, yeah. So so speaking of the whole... Speaking of pie. No, speaking of your, your guest of honoring thing, uh, when we had the whole... Uh, our, our feral podcast where, you know, I had gone back in time and transformed into a fox. Right. Or maybe I was a skunk then, actually. But anyway, um, so there's that. So anyone who wants to go and, like, dig up Rikoshi's backlog of, of books based based on, you know, recommendation of Now You Know Who I Am, you can go ahead and do that. Because I've had a bunch of people going, like, oh my god, like, why don't you have any novels out? And I'm like, I do have novels out, I just don't mention them. Uh Although now I can't make fun of Rikoshi on the show as much anymore. That's you not going to stop me completely. Yeah, I was going to say. He is kind of a tool, but no. <laughs> um, and also he related... how to use his tool. But, but the, the, the other half of the whole... Wow. <laughs> Damn. Go back and listen to the Unsheathed Presents episodes, people. Especially, uh, uh, what was it, number four? Oh, God. Uh, no, no, number... Wait. I don't remember which ones they are anymore. Yeah, I don't either. I'm, I'm sure our listeners know. They probably have them bookmarked. But no, the other half of the whole uh, Canadian thing is that there's a... By the time this comes out, the Canadian furry book distribution thing will be Oh, yeah, they're already, up, they're already up on Twitter. Yeah, but I mean, like, are they actually in operation yet? I think it's later no, this month. No, I think they're, they're going to go to Fernal Equinox next weekend, and they're going right. to be selling books there. I don't know when they are going to have a system up where they can, will be able to take orders but they are bookshelf bear on twitter b-e-a-r actually their twitter is at bears with books oh, is it bears with books Th- that's the, that's the twitter name uh, okay. the, the 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 outlet is called bookshelf bear oh then i may have tweeted incorrectly recently. okay they are on the facebook too yes so follow them and if you are now, Canadian now, and have complained about shipping fees in the past, yes. hopefully you will... Exorbitant postage rates. Hopefully you will quite appreciate their service. So, let's get started with the emails. Um, we have our timer woozle here. Hi, guys. He is going to limit us to two minutes. And because we only have 13 emails as opposed to 20, we're going to read the email first and then the two minutes will start. Okay. And then he will give us a warning. And, KM, why don't you start with this email so that you can pronounce his name correctly. So, yes, uh, I believe it's Resick. It's spelled R-S-Y-K. Yes. Uh, He has a question about characters. He says, I'm working on a character now that I've had a hard time developing. I know who he is and what he's going to do, but I'm worried that my readers won't be able to sympathize with him. The reason is this character happens to be human. I've heard several times in the podcast that many of your listeners identify more with furries on the basis that they are furries, and I'm wondering if the opposite is true. Do furries find it difficult to sympathize or like human characters? For the character in question, his humanity is rather essential to his history and the setting in the world is set in. And while I could convert him to something else to make it easier for my completely hypothetical readers, <laughs> this would involve a large amount of world changing for me to make it fit, which is something that I would like to avoid if at all possible. I think that there is a certain amount of sympathy that goes with the species. So, But on the other hand, I would stay true to your story. Don't Don't change who he is just to try to get more readers. Yeah, I mean, the bulk of media that everyone consumes, furries included, is about humans. Like, you know, TV shows, movies, 
books. You know, like it's that's the the baseline standard of what you're at. And I mean, if it's a human in an otherwise furry story, then I think that will still garner furry attention. Yeah. And one of my two main characters in Summerhill is a human, so I think you can definitely have a human in a furry story. Yeah. And if and especially it sounds like it's really integrally related to the world and the plot that you've put together. So I wouldn't try to rejigger that just because of like some imagined stigma. Yep. I would agree. Our second email is from Ekivu, the Brazilian cheetah, who used to live in Canada and has been to Camp Farrell. Uh, I don't think he was there this past September, though. No, but we did have a couple of Brazilians. Yeah, the, they they have a Brazilian contingent up there. Yeah. He was at the feral that I went to in '09. Oh, okay. And, um, so I've met him a couple times. And he writes, You talk about pacing a lot. I understand why pacing is important, but I'm not sure what it means in the writing process. Not many people ask about it either, or at least not many people who get read. Still, in many of your answers, you do quickly point out pacing as something to look out for. I'd like to suggest you dedicate an episode to that theme. How do you do it? Can you give some example of, of editing done for pacing? Well, fittingly enough, instead of doing a whole episode, we're going to do it in two minutes. Yeah, so, but we'll probably do a whole episode later. Yes. Um, but, you know, pacing is all about figuring out where the beats of a story go and making sure that they're spaced out right. You don't want to have, you know... Depending on the sort of story you're telling, you don't want the reader to have to wait too long before things start happening, and you don't want too much to all happen in rapid succession that the reader gets overwhelmed. And that's the sort of top-level way to describe it. Yeah, I think of pacing as having two aspects, and the first is just making sure that the reader never gets bored or confused. Right. So things happen, and there's always something going on. Uh, The other one is making sure that in the greater arc of the story, the things happen at the right times so that you don't have a whole lot of character development moments, character development moments, character development moments, and then suddenly, and now the plot all unravels and the end. Yeah. So movies are really good things to study for pacing because a good movie is going to have what they call beats. So you've got the moment where everything changes and the story really kicks off. You've got the moment where the character the first plan doesn't work. You've got the moment where the character is completely despaired and then the moment where things turn around and then the final sequence. And those things all have to be spaced out. And there are screenplay guides that tell you pretty much at this page in your script is about when these things should happen. Yeah, so they the have it down to a science. It's really well studied in screenplay. So I would look at screenplays and pacing is just something that you get a feel for the more you write where you say, hey, it's about time for this to happen. Yeah, you know, if it's dragging... Make something happen. If there's no room to breathe, slow it down. Right. All right. Next question here is from Darwin the Orca. Is it all right to mix tenses in your stories? I've searched around and only found conflicting information. If it is okay to do it, when is it appropriate? Well, interestingly enough, the book that I was just talking about being released, Green Fairy, has a mixture of tenses, but the way that it does that is in three different narratives. So you have two narratives which are related in the past tense, and then one which is related in the present tense from the time in which it takes place. And those are distinctly separated within the book. So when you move from one section to another, the fact that the tense is different is part of the transition of indicating that this is a different character speaking or experiencing. Yeah, and that's what what Kyle is just describing there, 
is a special circumstance of actual like narrative structure and it's a it's a device that's being used very deliberately in your typical story you want to pick a tense and stick with it you don't want to flip-flop back and forth you don't want it to to drift uh because at that point it just it comes across as just sort of sloppy and like the the writing isn't tight enough to hold itself together well it's confusing i mean it is confusing if you're going to do anything non-standard like that you have to be doing it with a special knowledge of the effect it's going to have on the reader and what effect do you want to create by having a mixture of tenses right i can't think of any desirable effect unless it's one of the these very weird sort of like half dream world things. yeah I, I, the only way i can see Number it happening nine dream is if, might yeah flip around tenses some the way i was thinking the only way i can really see it happening is if you're deliberately trying to be very surreal yeah and again like we've mentioned before you need to know the rules before you can willingly break them and the rule in general is don't change tenses is to just sort of keep them uh stuck together right okay our next question is from jack that's all just jack do you think that it requires the same or a slightly different outlook slash set of skills to write a short story as it does a novel uh no these are the, the, they are definitely different skills and I know I talk about this a lot on panels. I'm not sure if I've talked about it a lot on the actual podcast. I think we mentioned it on the podcast yeah. once or twice, but go ahead. But my whole thing was is that, oh, I probably haven't because I wasn't talking about novel writing a lot before. Because <laughs> um, I, was, I was hiding myself, except not really. Uh, yeah. I, no, no, sorry. Um, the, the, the short answer is yes, they do take different skills. I originally started writing short stories because I was sick of not being able to finish novels. So I just started, oh, I'll just write shorter things so I can actually complete them. And it wasn't until spending a few years writing all short stories that I realized, okay, these aren't just like a lesser form of novel that's not as long. Different things go into writing them that go into writing novels. Yeah, novels are, are very big on characters, which is, I think, why I enjoy writing novels a little more. Novels allow you to really explore a character journey from one point to another. They allow you to have more sweeping plots. A lot of people like novels for the more extensive world building you can do. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy all that. So world building and really getting deeply into character are skill sets with novels. Short stories are more about the idea and the moment happening. Yes, moments and concepts are the two things that short stories really do well. But there is a lot of overlap. And pacing is one, like, pacing is different between a short story and a novel, but you still have to have a grasp of pacing to understand it. All of the basic sort of mechanics of writing are the same dialogue, narrative, description. Novels, you can kind of let yourself go with description a little more. Short stories have to be more compact. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's different aspects of the same skill, but it's all still writing. Yeah, and... A good way to look at it is, you know, the experience of reading a short story versus the experience of reading a novel. Yes, it's writing, but they feel different. So, now for our next question. This is from RT Day. He's an Arctic Fox. He's asking about writing on theme uh, for an anthology. His question is, uh, how do you brainstorm, conceptualize, and formulate a story based off of a single word or idea set forth by an anthology or a publication? So I mean, I did this last, well, a couple of years ago, actually, with the Fortune Teller's Poem Anthology. What you do is just start free associating. I mean, one trick, if you're having trouble coming up with ideas, is just write down the word or write down the idea on a piece of paper 
and then stare at it and write down everything that comes into your head as you're thinking about it. And if you want to be fancy about it, you can write them in a circle based on how far they are from the original concept or which they relate to, and you can draw little lines and stuff. But that can give you a a good place to start. And again, with me, because I, my stories all kind of go back to character, is I will look at a idea or a theme and say, what does this mean to a character? Yeah. In general, the more abstract the theme or subject that you're given by an anthology, the more tenuous the connection can be. Uh, sometimes there'll be something very specific, like, hey, we're going to do a story about, you know, young gay men in, like, early college or in the United States or something like that. Or you can have something, like, the theme will, you know, be memories and then you know obviously that's going to lead to different things um i actually like writing with constraints because it gives me sort of boundaries and it defines certain areas of the story that make it more interesting for me to try to fit the stories that i like to tell into them yeah it becomes a challenge right which is cool and you should always one of the things that i did want to mention here is you should always accept challenges like these even if you feel like you failed at them Trying a challenge is how you keep growing as a writer. Yeah, like in D&D, even if you fail a challenge, you still get partial experience. <laughs> yes, of course you do. Well, <laughs> um, the other thing... Uh, Time. Something. Oh. All right, you don't get to hear the other thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to read a, a letter from Jinto the Dingo, and he writes... Is it important to have a developed main character in mind before writing a plan of your story? Or can the story first, character second model work just as well? I certainly think that both of those are valid. I think that a lot of times that the character journey is something that the writer discovers as they're telling the story like with this character in mind. Uh, that certainly happened when I wrote The Seventh Chakra, where the main character has this sort of personal development that he goes through and I didn't really understand what that was going to be until after my first draft of the book was done I knew what the sequence of events was going to be and I knew what the major things that were going to happen but at the same time it's one of those things where I didn't really understand what the core you know emotional and character themes were until I had already gone through that and I think you can I think you can do it either way just as you say, when you get to the end of the first draft, you have to know what the character journey is. You can't just have written the story and not have a character journey. Yeah. The example that I have is from Bridges, where that started with a conversation about the three ways, and I got the idea in my head of what kind of character would put himself into these three-way situations. I didn't know what his journey was going to be at the time. I just knew that these situations had come up. And when I'd written the first three stories, Kit and I were talking and he said, well, there's clearly got to be two, you know, another segment to his story. And then I kind of found out what was happening with him throughout the course of the, the book. And yeah, in general, I'm trying to think of, and I don't think I've ever done it, but coming up with oh you want to see this sort of change occur in a character and then go okay well what sequence of events could lead to that I and mean, that seems perfectly doable to me yeah I, I think i've done it i think i've done it both ways they tend to sort of develop side by side yeah 
So we have a multi-part question here from Mythic Fox. Should we take these individually for two minutes apiece or just try to combine them? Um, why don't you... You know, it, it's kind of a general thing about feedback and... Re- so let, 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 me, let, me, let me try to combine these all into a single question. Why, why, don't, you, why don't you do the first two and then I'll do the, the third and fourth because the first two are kind of related and third and fourth are kind of related. Okay, so uh, Mythic Fox asks in part one and two... Uh, is there a better way to find beta readers than simply asking around uh, for people that you know that are actually likely to provide it? And uh, is it better to stick with people you know well, or should you also try to get a few basic acquaintances with a wider sense of taste and opinions uh, to get more variety on that? I think that you can have beta readers who who are not good friends of yours, and that might be advisable. The first quality of a beta reader is sort of more addressed in his second set of questions, but is someone who is willing to make the time to read your work and understands how to provide good feedback on it. It's easier to convince somebody to make the time to read and critique if they're a good friend of yours. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not sure if somebody's going to fit the bill on that, you can always just let them try and if you don't think that the feedback they gave you was really worth it then now you don't need to bother them anymore and they don't need to give you feedback that isn't going to be helpful really in either case i i have you know our local writing workshop which is really close and i also have a group of uh other friends that whenever i write something major i send it to at least two or three other people uh just to get a disparate sense of opinions that are outside of this other larger group and you know, also because you know they have different you know senses. They're both they're all good at different things that they tend to pick out uh, of and, stories. And if you have a good, a wide group, you don't have to send everything you write to everyone in your group. You can say, oh, so and so likes novels, so I'm going to send him these, and he's right. a really fast reader. So and so likes this kind of short story. So and so likes this kind of short story. So you know, you don't send everybody everything. Yeah, I have one friend where it's like, hmm, it's eleven o'clock at night. I just finished a draft of a story and I want feedback by tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. Bing, there you yeah. go. Like, I know that that'll just get done. And I know you know who I'm talking about too, probably. Uh, of course. <laughs> His third and fourth questions are basically, how much trouble should you have to go to to get responses more detailed than I like this? And how do you deal with people who need constant reminders that their feedback is useful? So it's about getting feedback from the readers once you have that group. Yeah. Uh, and I have certainly had the problem of you know sending people a novel manuscript and getting back, oh, yeah, it was good. I liked it. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, like, well, what about it? It's like, oh, no, it's just I thought it was really exciting and I couldn't stop reading it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's good to know, but nothing you told me really gives me anything I can go back to actually work on. I would be prepared with questions and just say, hey, if you have have a chance, because there's usually points that I'm aware of that I feel are weak points in a draft. So if I say something like, did you feel that there was enough of this character in it? Or did you feel that there was too much of this character in it? Or did you feel that the plot around this area kind of went slowly? I felt I wasn't sure if I did a good job uh, laying it out at that point in the book. And then often if you if you sort of push them to think about certain aspects of the book, they will come back with, 
oh, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of that character, but I didn't really notice because I was going that fast. But on a second read through, it would have been nice. Yeah, prompt, prompting is a good way to do it. Uh, with When I send out short stories, I'm not usually as concerned about having jumping off points. But with every time I send out a novel manuscript, I've always had at least around half a dozen big questions that I send with it. And and I would say if people come back... Because I usually say, have at least that many problems. If I would say if people come back and say they don't think their feedback is useful, just don't even really engage with that. Just say, you know, whatever. I just... I, I really want to know what you think. I don't care. And remind them that you wouldn't be asking them for this if you didn't think their feedback was useful and they're not the one writing it so shut up and just give you feedback you're the writer you decide what's useful yeah i like to call that the as long as it's not your mom approach you know if you know you should be able to demand honest feedback from people if they're going to give you their time our next question is from someone and i he doesn't list a furry name um he's a fox though (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and he has a very simple question. Uh, he talks about how he's uh, just started uh, college as of uh, just this past fall semester. As I do mental math in my head and looking at <laughs> dates of the email. Um, he says, um, how do you start to find local furs? And uh, is it hard expressing the fandom to non-furs? It sounds like he's new. This is, this is where I'm going to put on my old geezer hat and say boy you don't know how lucky you have it these days back when i joined the fandom we only had alt fan furry and there were only three people on it and they were all in california and i was on the other coast um now you've got fur groups pretty much everywhere in the state that he says he's in which i don't know if we're supposed to read on the air i mean he sent us the letter we could say it i guess but in the state he says he's in i know there's fur groups in those in those areas I know that there's people around, so look yeah, for... Google your state name, furry meets, furry groups. You will find them. Yeah, and you'll find... And just introduce yourself and don't be a dork. Yeah. Or be the right kind of dork. I mean, don't be like... Don't be a jerk, I guess. Don't be a dick. That's the... D-B-A-D. That's the, yeah, that's the, that's the main credo. Yep. As far as expressing the fandom to non-furs... It's gotten easier the more I do it and the more exposure furry gets. People generally have you, you kind of have to feel out the, their level of interest. Yeah, if they ask you questions, answer them and be honest without oversharing. Right. And if they don't show any interest, don't go out of the your way to proselytize to them because you'll probably just weird them out. Yeah, and if they say, you know, why do you like to read books about animals? Just say, hey, I like imagining this world of furry animals, and if they're like, oh, okay and they're done with that, you don't have to also say, also, sometimes some of the people in our fandom put on costumes and go have sex in hotel rooms. <laughs> yes. Our word for intercourse is yiffing. <laughs> oh, astronaut Mike. Oh, what was our Time to 30 Rock reference? Yeah, I don't know. But, oh. uh, yeah, the don't be a dick applies there, too. Just act as though act as though it's something normal. Yeah. Our next question is from Sai the Cheeto who writes, I know you've mentioned your own writing group, and I was wondering how you got started and what activities you do with your group and how often you meet. So, yeah, well, we meet every other week, typically, uh, getting shuffled around as Sarah will sometimes require for travel and other things. Right. Um, how we got started, 
we were just a bunch of local friends who were all furry writers, and we said, hey, we should do something about this. Actually, I think what happened was you and I had taken a creative writing class and had experienced that workshop for a semester, and we said it would be kind of cool if we could create our own group, or we were oh, charged at the yeah. end of the class. Uh, Will said, yeah. go out and create your own writing group. And so we said, we should do that. Right. Okay, so that did give us the, the impetus to do it. But then at that point, it's like, okay, well, who do we know who's local that we're friends with that is furry and writes and wants to do this? Yeah, and the membership uh, of the group has shuffled around a little bit since it was yeah. formed. People have dropped off. People have come on board. Yeah. There's at least five of us who have been with it the whole time. Yep. Yeah. Mostly what activities we do is we read each other's stories, we talk about what things we've been reading, and we have dinner. Yeah. And we have it done up um, where, you know, dinner is sort of part of the get-together. And we go, okay, we're going to, you know, do dinner first. And that gives you time to have conversations and catch up with your social and your friendship stuff. Uh, And then once that's all done, then we go, okay, now we're going to do the actual uh, workshop activities. And sometimes we actually do activities in workshop, too. We do writing exercises, yeah. yeah. Occasionally. Not always. We, We try to do it more often and... We've been we've done a couple lately that I think have been very helpful. I wrote a story about a dancing harem girl based on one of those. Also, weirdly enough, not a furry story. Yeah, which one of my beta readers was confused by. It's like I got almost all the way to the end of the story and I was like, why hasn't he mentioned what species these characters are? And it's like, oh right, because oh, did we already have time? Actually, I forgot to time this one. So oh okay, but yeah, time okay. <laughs> Our next question is from Earth Digger. Hey, Earth. Or Earth Digger. I don't know if he likes having his name abbreviated. Welcome to Earth. <laughs> Sorry. He asks, have either of you ever written a story that accidentally appealed to a group you were unaware of? Uh, and he mentions uh, Mary Loud finding the furry fandom uh, just trying to by trying to find someone to publish her books. Uh, or there's just a certain section of your book that really appeals to a fetish group that you didn't know about. I will say that I was unaware of the uh, Spit Roasting fan club until Bridges came out. <laughs> also, I just made that up. I was going to say, like, do I need to get a membership now? Oh, no. <laughs> I think you're an honorary member. I don't think we have any... I don't have anything oh, to say about this. I, I have not... I do, actually. Okay. Yeah, I, so I'll just say no on my part. Oh, wait. No. Oh, ahead, you tell no you I'm not going to tell that story. Okay, you'll have to tell me afterwards. Yeah. After we... <laughs> no, um, there is, in my Mercantic series, one of the chapters was deliberately meant to be disturbing and unsettling and to just kind of, like, repulse people like in a way to just like make them feel this sort of revulsion for this character and i got a couple of emails that were like oh my god that was the hottest story i've ever read and so I'm if you're like, one of those people shame on you well it was more just like maybe i was new except i wasn't but i just remember going like oh god really like i don't want to know that like no don't but i mean but 2012 is the year of no kink shaming so okay there you go our next email is from Lazily Sleeping Dog. I guess we, we, we've had emails from Dog before. Dog is he? Okay, because you do the drawl, Dog. Because you're so from wherever you're from in the south. Yeah, well, Dog. I'm from all over. I like his nickname for us. 
<clears throat> yes, actually, I'll, we will actually read the greeting on this one. Dear Tossy Mice and Tummy Nommer, how does research fit into NaNoWriMo? Say I want to write a story about passenger rail in 1910. Do I hold off researching the topic until NaNo starts, or can I prepare beforehand? How much preparedness is cheating? As I understand it, the stuff with NaNoWriMo is just the words that you write down between you know November 1st and... November 30th. 30th is half the 30th. 30th which yes. I, okay. Uh, <laughs> I was actually waiting for you to say November 31st. No, I was like, I did the little rhyme in my head. Um, I say, you know, forewarned is forearmed, or is that what that is? Yeah, you can totally do research yeah. beforehand. It's just what you write. I would recommend, especially like Passenger Rail in 1910, like, uh, like I would want to research that too first going on ahead. So, yeah. Do research because you certainly don't want to waste your NaNoWriMo time doing research. And as anyone who has ever looked something up on Wikipedia while in the middle of writing has discovered, there goes the next 45 minutes of the writing time you've set aside. 45 minutes, if you're lucky. Yeah, I know. Our next one is from Geo. Yes, hi Geo. Hi Geo. Friend of the podcast. Geo has issues in uploading .txt files to Furfinity. It seems that every time he does so, the text is muddled up by formatting issues that were previously invisible in Notepad before upload. He believes it has something to do with copy-pasting from a Word document, but is uncertain. He would like to know if there are some simple steps to follow in avoiding this. Uh, there are definitely formatting things that will happen if you just copy-paste from Word into Notepad. Yeah. Uh, that is certainly true. Smart quotes is one of them. Yep, smart quotes, it'll, and, uh, M-dashes, uh, are another thing. Uh, I think you can also, depending on what your, uh, like, format thing is up to, like, paragraph breaks will go wonky in indentation. Yeah. Uh, I think the simplest thing to do is to save from save your word document as rtf maybe no uh it has a text it's like dos text or windows or, oh yeah, yeah. I think it, if you save it as dos text yeah. word will convert, or like ascii text or, yeah, something. or ASCII text, yeah. word will convert all those characters for you and then open that saved file in notepad and you should be able to edit it just fine the problem with that is then your italics and other format don't get carried over yeah so you have to either Remember where those are. I mean, what I do normally is I export it to HTML, but then I have to do a bunch of find and replace because I use OpenOffice because you don't want to export words HTML because it loads it with a bunch of crap. Yeah, it's garbage. So what I do real briefly is I load it into OpenOffice from the Word doc. I save it as an OpenOffice HTML file, which is pretty clean. But then OpenOffice changes smart quotes and M dashes and other things into like HTML specific characters. So like at M dash semicolon. Yeah. But you can just search for the ampersand and that will find any instance of special characters in your document. And you just do a find and replace in Notepad or TextPad and then you're set. Yeah. So hopefully that helps. I know at least somebody was asking about that on either Twitter or FA the other day. So hopefully that will help them. Wow. This is a. Oh, there is a TLDR version. Yes. This is from Napaxe, I think it's pronounced. Mm. I apologize if I said that wrong. But he greets us as Soggy Otter and Guileful Fox. <laughs> Wait, why do you get Guileful and I get Soggy? Because I don't live in the water. I take care of my hygiene, as anyone who has ever met me knows. Go ahead, read the email. Read the TLDR version. So... uh 
He asks, would you ever consider using crowdsourcing or donation tactics to fund a project of yours? And if so, how would you handle this? And how would you handle having other talent working on a third-party addition to a franchise, uh, using the term loosely, that you started? Does sound yeah, about let's, related. Well, let's just do those two, and then we'll, no, we'll move on to the others. Yeah. So, oh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, crowdsourcing, I've talked, I've talked about it. Uh, you've talked about it. I know people have done that. Mm-hmm. I think the way that I would handle it, my big reservation would be I would want to make sure that I have something definite to give people who donated yeah. because i hate taking money up front when i don't have anything to give people on the promise of something to be done later so i would want to make sure that i had some kind of policy in place where i could either if it was a longer project i could give people regular updates and kind of pay them off that way or i had something where i could just store the money and then if i ended up not finishing the project at whatever time in the future i could just give it back yep um, a good solution to this that I've discovered that I've backed a bunch of projects uh, that use this is Kickstarter. Yeah. Kickstarter is really good because if the project doesn't go through, the people don't lose their like their money doesn't get taken. Well, if you if it doesn't reach the funding level, right, the people don't get their money taken. Right. But you can do you could do people have done Kickstarter for writing a novel, and they don't start writing until the funding level's reached. It's not that... Oh, right. It's not that if the novel doesn't come out, everyone gets their money back. It's basically... Oh, so you're talking about a way to keep your money hostage so that you don't just run away with it? Sort of. Or else I would want to set something up where, like, if I was doing it to write a novel, I would say, I'm going to post something every month and then just make sure I do that. And even if I don't finish the novel, I've at least given them something for the money. Okay. And as for the, the franchise thing... Um I guess if you're talking like a sort of like a shared universe thing, uh, give people guidelines on you know what you should be doing, and if you need to maintain like editorial veto and you know go over what they've done before you let them publish it, that seems to make sense to me. I think the thing is to set out from the start whether you need to maintain iron control over the world or whether you're going to be very loose time. and let them determine it, and communicate that to them. I said time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, so his second question, his second set of questions, is there a particular book you could recommend that has good use of dialogue with three or more characters, and will you be attending a Furicon in Florida in 2012? I can answer the second one first. I will not. I will be in mm. Georgia in about a week, but that will have gone by by the time you've heard this. And, I, yeah, I don't have any plans to be anywhere uh, anywhere near the southeast okay. really anytime soon, unfortunately. How about a dialogue book? A dialogue book. Who has really good dialogue that we've read? Oh, God. I, I don't want to go to the old standbys. I know that I can think of so many other ones. I, uh, I, I do think, um, I'm going to say Ishiguro, when he does his dialogue with multiple character scenes. Yeah. Th- those are really good. And again, it depends on what you mean by good use of dialogue. Do you mean the dialogue flows well? Do you mean you can t- distinguish the characters apart? Yeah. Um, like I was going to say... I think that the conversations that people have in David Mitchell's Thousands of Autos with Jacob Zoot, there's a lot of really good like banter and yeah. again like the you know, the the Dutch, you know, warehouse workers sound very different from like the Japanese magistrates and right. you know, so there um, you go. I'm also gonna toss out Cassie Clare's City of Glass, City of Bones, City of Ashes Okay, yeah. The Mortal Instruments trilogy. Because she has a lot of situations where there's multiple characters, and they all the dialogue all flows really well in those books. 
there is a reason that they are trying to adapt them to movies and her excellent use of dialogue is i'm sure one of them yeah yeah picking out things that are written specifically for dialogue is is kind of tricky because mostly dialogue stands out when it's badly done yeah and when it's well done it doesn't jump out as much i would agree as opposed to movies and tv where good dialogue does jump out just because of the nature of the medium right all right. There we go. There we go. Round complete. Those are our 13 questions, which was actually 15 because we broke two of them in half. Snap them over the counter like a popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a thing people say? It's an old Norm MacDonald comedy routine. Kit's given us the two-minute signal. So He was like the, the bachelor date and show where oh, right. they're like, the girl goes, if I was a popsicle, what would you do to me? And the first bachelor was like, well, first I'd take your wrapper off, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and then he's like, the second bachelor was like, well, first I'd take your wrapper off, then I'd press you against the counter till you broke in two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and because this is the year of no king shaving, yeah. no, um. <laughs> Yes. So, that's it for our emails. We are looking forward to Reboot and Unsheathed, getting back on regular track. I want to thank specifically our Timer Woozle. You're welcome. Uh, would like to thank our technical assistant, Jericho Otter. And as always, our manager and producer, Kit Silver, Awesome Tech Wolf, who is uh, holding up something that I can't read at this distance. Okay, never mind. That's for me privately later, I guess. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, also, apologies if, if we were a little off base today. It's been a while since we've done this, actually. I, so. think, we, I, think, it, I think it went I think fine. fine. I, I'm a little mumbly. I, I also want to thank all of you guys for sticking through and continuing to ask us when the next episode is going to be out. Because really, the worst thing that could have happened when we went on a couple little hiatuses would have been for people to just not care. Yeah. And we probably would not be sitting here if we had not gotten lots of inquiries from people about when the next episode was going to happen thank you for caring sharing is caring so thank you all we promise we'll be doing this more often in 2012 2012 is the the year of the unsheathed of tomorrow or wait did i call it unsheathed of tomorrow or unsheathed of the future i think you said of the future all right. but unsheathed of the future the future is now uh so you can follow us as Unsheathed on Fur Affinity. That's where we're going to be posting stuff. Yes. We will, if we come up with a different method of social media distribution, like a Twitter account or something, we will let people know. But for right now, go look on there. That's where we'll post updates about what you should email about. You can follow me on FA and SoFurry as Kyle. You can follow me on Twitter and LiveJournal as Kyle Gold. And I have a website at kylegold.com, which has lots of information about book release dates and upcoming books and previously published books and what conventions I'll be at and all kinds of stuff like that. And you can follow me as Cam Hirasaki on everything I'm on. <laughs> Yay. If you don't find a Cam Hirasaki on a service, I'm not on it. So, thank you. We will be talking at you again real soon now. Good night. And good luck. And keep writing.